This is the Hockey News Podcast. GM and McKenny Hockey. Whoa, Ryan. We're on different sides of the table. We are. This is crazy stuff. Yes. Um, you know, I, I would say this is our first sort of, it's not the regular season yet, it's the preseason, but I, I declare this to be our first episode of the season. You know? I, I agree. We've only talked about hypotheticals, now we actually have stuff to talk about. Mm. Um, and with a new season, we're going to bring a couple new segments, or mainly just one. Uh, we're going to do a segment called The Best, where we literally just go through something that is the best across hockey, yeah. uh, just for fun, and that rapid fire. Uh, we're not going to do, you know, three questions that are just prolonged. <laughs> and we have a, and the opposite of rapid fire, really. We're taking um, it back to its roots. We're going to take it back to its roots. We're going to do a bunch that are actually rapid fire. So it's going to be great. But, Ryan, let's kick it off with a story that is getting some traction, obviously, but maybe not as much as it should, in my mm. opinion, in Trevor Zegris still um, missing training camp this year, or, or, or right now, um, without a contract. Uh, there was a report that came out, I believe, from Renaud Lavoie of a, a t- TVA Sports, as I like to be called, mm-hmm. uh, that the Ducks were offering him something in between three and four million dollar AAV um, on what was agreed to be a three-year deal. There seems to be quite the disconnect uh, between these two. Ryan, what do we think of this? Well, I mean, Zegers is pretty interesting because we know how dynamic he is, mm-hmm. and we've seen that he can be the face of the Ducks. I'm not sure if you know necessarily that means that that he could be their next captain, but in terms of visibility, you know the skill set he has. You know he's already been on the cover of the NHL video game. Um, you know he, he's very recognizable. But having said that, we haven't seen the high amount of points that we've seen with some of his compatriots yet. Now maybe some of that is playing on a, a Ducks team that is still on its way up and doesn't have necessarily the, the same firepower to surround him, although he does have guys like Troy Terry, and then you know I think we expect Mason McTavish to continue mm. along his NHL path in a very positive way. But when I look at this, obviously you can go with a bridge deal. Yes. Right? And with Seems a bridge like deal, you know, you probably want to go two years. Me, I, I, I would want, if I'm Zegers in his game, I would want to go two years mm. where he basically would prove himself to be at the level of a Jack Hughes. Mm-hmm. You know, they were drafted in the same class. Uh, they were teammates, actually, yes. with the NTDP uh, that, that year. Uh, but Jack Hughes had 99 points last yep. season. And he makes $8 million a year. Now, granted, he signed that a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. So, you know, we know the cap's going to go up. There's sort of an inflationary uh, period, coming. period to, yeah. put, you know, to put on that. Um, the other comparable that I would bring up is Tim Stutzla, who just signed mm-hmm. a massive contract in Ottawa. Again, Tim Stutzla, 90-point guy, making north of $8 million. So if, if you're Pat Verbeek and the Ducks Brain Trust, if you're going to be you know, a hard negotiator, you'll say, well, Trevor, you, you haven't hit 90 points. You haven't hit 80 points. Yeah. You haven't even hit 70, hit 70 points. Yeah. So why should we give you 8 over 8 right now? Now, it's a debatable point. Maybe Trevor Zegras breaks out this year for that amount. Mm. But that's where you get into the situation where would he, if he wants that eight years, would he take seven? Or do you go with a bridge for two years? And even with a bridge, I would think he would want at least seven because the Ducks do have the cap space and he is kind of the face of the franchise. Uh, But if you go bridge at seven, then at the end of that, 
depending on how things go, maybe at that point you are a nine or ten million dollar player. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's well. He he actually has his own uh, like it's basically confirmed his own sort of Taylor Swift Travis Kelsey romance right now with TikTok megastar Dixie D'Amelio. Okay. So that's that's nothing but good for content for the league. Sure. If they go public, but here's according to Big Head Hockey, uh, um, these are the amount of these are the players who in the last five years have as many points um, as Trevor Zegers does at his current age. So he's 22 right now. These are in the last five years, how many 22 year olds had as many points or like as many or more mm. um, as, as Zegers had at this age. He has 139 points, 180 career games so far. So these players are Andrei Svechnikov, Jack Hughes, Tim Stutzla, Brady Kachuk, Austin Matthews, Elias Patterson. Mm -hmm. None of them signed for less than 9.05% of the salary cap. Um, which is an average of 7.5 million as an, mm. as an average annual value. Mm -hmm. And look, we also have to take into account that everyone on the Ducks, specifically last year, was terrible. Right. Like everyone's numbers, no matter where they went, went up, like after they left the Ducks. Uh -huh. And so Trevor Zegers still on that terrible Ducks team, uh, put up 23. He improved on his, on his season last year, 23 goals, 42 assists, 65 mm -hmm. points. Who was he passing the pucks to? I don't know. Like, I don't know who on that roster was capable of taking 42 passes from Trevor Zegers and putting them in the net. Mm. Um, but this is a guy who's also an all-rookie just, uh, you know, in, in his first full season. Uh, like, he, he was the first-team all-rookie, finished runner-up uh, for the Calder. He is a defensive liability. We'll have to bring that out. He's not good defensively. That can tend to happen with, you know, a young, dynamic kind of guy like that. Sure. Um, but when it comes to... When it comes to negotiating a contract for your future, for, for a guy who is this important to your team... Um, it just, like, how many times have we seen a deal? Like, like Jack Hughes was in a far worse situation than, than Trevor Zegers was when he signed his big extension. Right. He had a horrible rookie year. And even after that, he, he, he was not looking great. Uh, and then they, they signed him to this gigantic, you know, like eight times eight that everyone was like, oh, that's a massive overpay for a guy who looked like a bust in his first year. Uh, uh, you know, and then now it's, it's going to turn into one of the best deals in the league. Why would you not take advantage? Like, you're not... If, if all goes well for the Ducks, you're not going to be this bad for a while, for, for you know, much longer, really. Right. Which means you're not going to have the benefit of having, of being able to have your elite young talent show that, they're, show that they're very good, but not put up the numbers to demand the kind of money, like the t kind of top end money that, that other players have had. So mm -hmm. why not take it, take, you know, why not jump on this, give them eight by eight, do the exact same you know, thing that, that the, uh, the Devils did to Jack Hughes, mm -hmm. banking on even if he, like with the way the cap is going up, even if he doesn't become a 99-point player, maybe if he tops out as like, you know, a point-per-game guy, if the cap is like $90 million by the time that happens, which it could be in like two, three years, that's like, in, in the general scheme of things, a point-per-game guy for, for eight by eight who's like 23, 24, mm -hmm. that's phenomenal. I don't know why they're, I don't know why they're jerking around like this. Yeah, and I think ultimately that's, the contract that makes the most sense. Like I said, that's the Jack Hughes contract, but signed a couple of years later, mm. and you know, with the foresight that the cap's going to go up. Because eventually, if you're planning this out super long term, mm. you're gonna need a big contract for Leo Carlson, yes, for Mason McTavish, maybe for Jamie Drysdale, who we're gonna talk about or next. Zellweger too. Olin you know, Zellweger, else? you know, Pavel Minchikov, yeah. Jackson Lacombe, like any of those guys. Um, so. You look at a team like Colorado, which didn't make those mistakes on contracts. Mm -hmm. You know, first, Nathan McKinnon was the most underpaid player in the NHL. Then it was Kel McCarr. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously they got theirs now. But 
Colorado won a cup and they fortified that core in order to do so. Mm. Um, and they were winners. And, and I mean, let's face it, I mean, Colorado could win the cup again this yeah. year and no one, no one would be surprised. Mm -hmm. So avoiding those pitfalls when you're doing these long-term contracts, as the Devils did with Jack Hughes, uh, shout out to Tom Fitzgerald and his crew for yeah. having that foresight, that's what Pat Verbeek and the Ducks are looking at right now is what is the appropriate Trevor Zegers contract that can keep us in a good cap situation, not only this year, but five, six years down the road? Well, here's the thing. If you look at their, if, if you look at their roster, they have 16, they have the most cap space in the league, I believe, 16.635833. They have a ton of money to deal with. Mm -hmm. And that's even after, like, that's after they basically had to hit the floor by giving Alex Kalorn 6.25 and Radko Gudis 4, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, all of these different, you know, taking on Ilya Lushkin's 2.75. But if you look at the, at the money that's coming off the books in years, you're going to have Silverberg and, and Henry come off the books after this season. One makes 5.825, one makes 5.25. You know, on top of that, you're going to have, like, you're, on top of that, you're, you're going to have uh, uh, Labushkin coming off the books. You can try and trade Cam Fowler. That's 6.5. You know, like there, there, there are ways to, uh, uh, to, you know, to make this work. I don't get why he's the guy they're trying to squeeze here. Mm. Um, because when you have a talent, like he is a phenomenal talent who's played on terrible teams and they have to recognize that. Mm. Like Trevor Zegris has not, you know, he, there, there are flaws to his game. Like I said, defensively, he's not great. You know, he's, you know, uh, uh, like his ability to some of that, some of that flash that he has in the game, maybe kind of papers over some of the deficiencies that he has, mm. but like these are all these. This is an exact type of conversation we had with Jack Hughes right before his contract got signed, mm -hmm. and I don't understand when that when that is like the biggest sort of market inefficiency is getting your your elite guys whose talent you believe in um, signed up to term like early mm -hmm. uh, uh, to keep that down. Like right now, that's the market inefficiency. That's going to keep that's going to keep New Jersey good for a long time. That's going to keep Buffalo good for a long time as they move forward. Yep. I don't get why there's two there's two options here. Either they either Pat Verbeek just doesn't want to buy into that, or they don't believe in Trevor Zegers' talent. Like that's that's a possibility here is that they don't believe that he is he 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 they don't believe that he has that point per game ceiling that or or even more than that than we think he does. Mm. Um, and I think that would be a miscalculation mm -hmm. on that. But we've never seen him play with real quality players around him. Mm. Um, Not Troy Terry. Well, Troy, yeah, but like Troy Terry is he's only good. like that's it though. Yeah. Like there's like. Look at their roster from last year. Yeah. And Trevor Zegers is dumped in the middle of that, and you're expecting him to, be, to score 99 points? Well, I mean, I think uh, if you're, if you're you. looking at that. I mean, I yeah, mean yeah, yeah. Pat Verbeek. No, no, no. But Actually, I, you know what? No, I'm coming at you for that. Right, yeah. right, right. You know, I, you know, if I'm going to be devil's advocate okay. here, if you're Ducks that good. Advocate. We're not talking Ducks about Ducks advocate, that. exactly. Yeah. Uh, if you're that good, you should elevate your teammates. There's only so much one guy can do, though. Yeah, but I mean, Mason McTavish, third overall pick. Yeah, but he's right? not flourishing yet. Like, he's, like, he. Why not? I say as Ducks advocate. Uh, all right, look, quack quack, I guess. But I, 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 I don't understand why this is the guy they're trying to squeeze. If I was, if mm. I was Verbeek, I'd have an eight. I'd, I'd have an eight by eight, right. and we'd be like, sign it. You're gonna, you're gonna be great. This is an overpay right now. But you know, down the line, like, even, like look at the Nathan McKinnon deal. Even at the time, yeah. that was like, like, and I don't have the numbers in front of you. But at the time, he, he signed like what, six point two five, six point five, I believe. Yeah. I would, I would happen to guess that, and he signed for six years, I think. Um, so I would, I would six or, or it could have been eight. I'm not sure, but 
um, I would happen to guess that the percentage of the cap that he signed there would be right around the percentage of the cap that he'd sign on an eight eight million dollar deal now, mm. or or even like a bit less, like seven point five. Mm-hmm. Like that, this them squeezing him makes no sense. I understand why they're squeezing uh, Drysdale. I guess that's a good segue into yes. into that. Um, but Zegris doesn't make sense. But yes, mm-hmm. Jamie Drysdale, another mm-hmm. you know top ten pick, sixth overall in twenty twenty. You know, uh, I believe right shot defenseman. Um, you know, just an absolute stellar uh, uh, offensive talent, really, as as defense and puck moving. It's great. Yeah. Um, he is also he's actually skating with uh, Toronto Metropolitan University right now. Oh. Um, um, while he awaits uh, his contract, he only played eight games last year. Eight pointless, like not pointless, as in it didn't matter. Eight <laughs> right. games as in that he finished pointless in. Right. Um, and uh, he because he was injured all through last year, seems to be healthy now. Clearly, yeah. he's skating. Um, now he also doesn't have a contract. He's also at ten point two C. Which means he can't get an offer, uh, an offer sheet, right. as if GMs would do it. And by the way, Trevor Zegers, offer sheeting Trevor Zegers seems like the most like slam dunk. If I was a GM of any of these teams, I don't know why you wouldn't at least try. Mm. Which happened, which means that I have to come to the conclusion that all GMs are cowards, um, but, <laughs> or they have no cap space, or they have no cap space. Yeah. But I'd like to go with options because you'd have to op- you'd have to offer him like nine or ten, I think. Yeah, to get the four first round picks. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Even if you offer, but then you'd force the Ducks into paying him what we've been talking about. Yes. So, it, which is basically what Mark Bergevin did to, for Sebastian Ajo. Right. Another guy who, you know, signed a pretty good deal at that at that time, like mm-hmm. where he was producing around the the same production as, as Trevor Zegers. But mm-hmm. Jamie Drysdale, he's the most coveted asset in the league, a, a puck moving right shot defenseman. Mm-hmm. That is what every team would sell their soul for. The Boston Bruins almost actually did that last year. <laughs> um, so, but uh, right now he is—he, he, like I said, doesn't have a doesn't have a contract. There doesn't seem to be a ton of movement there either. It de- definitely does seem like Zegers is going to be the first domino to fall, and then Drysdale after. Mm. I can see why they're squeezing Drysdale here. Yeah, at least on this deal because he has zero leverage. He can't, right. He can't get an offer sheet. Yeah. He's coming off missing seventy, uh, uh, missing seventy-four games last year. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, he only has one full season under his belt. And it was a fine point production yep. you know, at the end of it. Four goals, 28 assists for 32 points. Mm-hmm. You know, he logged almost 20 minutes of ice time that night. Could be an indictment on the, the lack of depth in the system more than, than anything else. But right now, Drysdale's out of contract. What do we see? How do we see this unfolding? This one to me is like the perfect bridge situation yes. for all involved. Yeah. I would say, you know, two years... Four million per season. Really? Yeah, because if you wow. look, and again, this is one of those things where it's like it's got to be good for both sides, yes. right? So for Drysdale, obviously, he wants to prove himself to be in that upper tier of mobile defensemen. Like, yeah. can he be Quinn Hughes? Mm-hmm. You know, could he even be Kale McCarr or Miro yeah. Heskinen? Right? He had like as a draft prospect. He certainly had that potential, had potential right? right? Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, that's what you want to prove if you're Jamie Drysdale. You want to prove that you could be an eight, nine, ten million dollar defenseman quickly down the road. But you do need some runway to do so because, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, missing basically all of last year due to injury, not having that much of a track record in the NHL yet because he is so young as well. You want to have a couple of years where. You know, this season, you play 82 games, mm-hmm. you, know, you get your footing again, maybe you get yourself up to sort of 40, yeah, 40 45, 45 points, there, yeah. you know, and then the season after that, hopefully you elevate to the point where maybe you're a 65-point guy on a team that is threatening for the playoffs, 
and you've established yourself as a power play quarterback, yes. a breakout king. Uh, as I said, you know, a guy put up points, and then you go back to the table and say, okay, well now let's go eight by eight or whatever yeah. it happens to be. Yeah, no, I think that's in terms like this is the guy that you squeeze a guy who has zero yeah. leverage, who literally cannot like, who is forced to be your property right now. Like like with Zegris, a team could come out of nowhere. It's funny because they happen, the Ducks happen to have the most cap space, so they would be the the guy to offer sheet Trevor Zegers to right. the other team. But he but like you, no one can do anything to Drysdale. Yeah, you can say like if if he doesn't agree to your terms by accepting one dollar. You know, and violating the CBA, then uh, uh, you know he's sitting at home for the rest of the season. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, but like, so so he's the guy. And, and I was looking at some of his numbers, like the the, the raw stats, like because he's only he only has one full NHL season. So I wanted mm-hmm. to look at that. And keep in mind, he was 19. Yeah, when this happened. But you know, four goals, 20 assists, 32 uh, points. That's good. He averaged 19.53. So so that was he was getting some. He was he was he was getting some usage there. However. He did start sixty, like basically sixty percent of his shifts in the offensive zone. Right, and he finished with four goals. Yeah. Like it, so, and then I also I look at his underlying numbers here. Keep in mind he was nineteen. Exactly. But in that one in that one year, finished with you know forty seven point four nine or basically forty seven point five expected goals mm-hmm. percentage. So he fin- so the other team was both out chancing and you know outscoring uh, the team when Drysdale was on the ice. Again, he was 19, but like, if you yeah. want to look at his past production, he does not deserve that. Like, that's why I reacted. I was like, whoa, four million. Like, if I was them, I'd be like, two years, 2.5, like, you know, or, or three max, and prove that you can A, stay healthy, and B, be a good, like, you know, the, and prove that you can, that better, th- or good things can happen more on the ice when you're there mm. than when you're not. Yeah, I would go four because I do think you that if you're, space. yeah, you have the space yeah. and if you're the, the Ducks, like you don't want to hardball all your key, you know, potential cornerstones. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have the space and it, if it is only two years and you say like, look, we want you to grow into this role. We want you to be a bargain at four million, yeah. you know, this year, let alone the year after that. Uh, so, you know, we, we don't think you're, you've, quite proven the year at the level of some of those top tier guys. But having said that, we do think you're a very valuable part of this organization and we believe in your future. So we will give you four, you know, times two. And then after that, let's talk about doubling it or even more. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Look, he, he's got a ton of potential. I'm very high on, on, on Drysdale, you know, from the little I've seen of him. Phenomenal hockey player, but he yep. doesn't have any, he has very minimal ground to stand on both in terms of past performance and like, you know, options yeah. in terms of a player. Yeah. So yeah, squeeze him. Look, getting four, you have the ability, you just paid Radko Gudis four million. Mm-hmm. So like you can pay Jamie Drysdale four million on a bridge deal. Yeah. Um, but Zegers, I like the fact that it's not done yet or, or the, the fact that they haven't this chosen to, to do a Jack Hughes, a Tage Thompson. Mm-hmm. Like if they offered him an identical deal to what Tage Thompson got, uh, um, you know, like which is under eight million. It was eight times under eight million. Mm-hmm. Like, why not? Like, like I, I think no matter what, that would that would work out in your favor. But I agree. Then again, who, who am I to say that? Um, all right, Austin Matthews is on the power on the, on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. He's on. He's always on the power play. He's on yes. the penalty kill. Um, and they are yeah. And last night, he him and Marner specifically were one unit. Uh, the the Leafs played the Ottawa Senators at home um, in their pre in uh, their preseason home debut. Um, so it begs a question: Can a Leaf win the Selkie? 
And will it be, and let's say Matthews plays on the penalty kill this offseason, which seems to be the, or this season, which seems to be the one thing that held him back from Selkie mm. consideration before. Um, a, can a Leaf win the Selkie this year? And will it be him or Marner? Yeah, so it's very interesting because obviously with the retirement of Patrice Bergeron, all of a sudden the Selkie it's race is like a little more win. open. I would say that, you know, a guy like Alexander Barkov in Florida or Andre Kopitar in Los Angeles, they are reputationally probably the leaders. The Selkie is that weird one it where it's a, a lot of reputation. I was I was tossing Matthew Kachuk as well because he's fantastic mm -hmm. uh, defensively as well. His numbers uh, always really pop. It's funny, you know, I was in Washington, D.C. a couple of weeks ago for the NHLPA Upper Deck Rookie Showcase where they gather, you know, I think there was 32 young NHL mm -hmm. hopefuls and they get all their pictures taken in their gear, and you know you get to talk to them. And Matthew Nyes was asked about Austin Matthews, and he pointed out that no forward in the NHL last year had more blocked shots than Austin Matthews. That is true. Which I was like, wow, I, it never even crossed my mind, but sure enough, 92 blocked shots, Elias Pettersson, was second, Andre Kopitar third. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting to see superstars obviously putting their bodies on the line there. So obviously he's willing to pay the price. Uh, you know, block shots is one metric, uh, but takeaways, he was also top 10. Yes. And that's his bread and butter. Yeah, Mitch Marner was actually number one. Mm -hmm. uh, he had 104 takeaways. So you have two players that obviously we know they could produce offensively. But they're also very good defensively. Now, something I was also interested in is, you know, when you look at the numbers, because, you know, with the Selkie, I feel there is obviously an offensive component to yes. it where, you know, you know, Patrice Bergeron always put up points, Kopitar and, and Barkov. It's two-way, yeah. exactly. So it gets to the point where, you know, you look at a guy like Connor McDavid, mm -hmm. who also has a lot of takeaways. Yeah. He was actually f uh, fourth in the league. So what's the difference, right? And, you know, if you look at five on five, goals for, goals against, Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid were both on the ice for 75 goals for at five on five. Pretty much expected they're two of the most dynamic players in the world. Goals against, McDavid was on the ice for 62. Matthews was only on for 37. So that's why when you look at the numbers it kind of clicks for me. It's like, okay, yeah. Like, Austin Matthews does have that resume. And I know for a lot of voters, they say, well, if you're not killing penalties, then you can't really be in the race. You know, why wouldn't your coach trust you to kill penalties if you're that good defensively? And I understand that logic. So if, if Matthews is now killing penalties, as Marner always has, or not always, but he has for, you know, a couple of seasons now at least, then I really do think you got to put Matthews in that category. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in the other races. The Hart, mm -hmm. the Rocket Richard, you know, even the Art Ross. I mean, I think we're pretty much giving it to McDavid. Yeah. But who knows what happens, right? Well, the only thing that will stop him is an injury. Yeah, exactly. Or if Dreisaitl just happens to That's get true. more points than him, you know, because they play together on the power play. And who knows, you know, just five on five, what happens there. Um, but could Matthews, you know, if, if he's not in line for the heart, would maybe voters give him the Selkie? If, if they think that, you know, the heart 
race was kind of close between him and McDavid or him and Dreisaitl or you know, whoever it happens to be. I think it's an interesting possibility and one that we'll have to keep an eye out for because statistically, Matthews clearly fits the bill as a Selkie contender. Now it's just a matter of, okay, well, if he's good on the penalty kill and he puts up similar numbers that he did you know, when it comes to block shots and takeaways last year and his five-on-five goals still have that big gap in favor of him, I say why not? He's also a center. He's also a center, yeah. That's the thing, because if we're, if we're going to talk about whether, it, you know, if a Leaf could win the Selkie and it's a choice between Matthews and Marner, and Matthews does play in the penalty kill for the whole season, it's going to be Matthews because he's, he's a center. Right. People, you know, we haven't seen a winger uh, win the Selkie since, uh, like, I don't think, Mark Stone never won the Selkie, did he? I'm not so if sure. So he, if he did, then it would be him. Before that, it would be like Yuri Letera or something. So Yuri Lettinen, yeah. Oh yeah, sorry, Latin and not Latera. Jeez, that guy. That's, <laughs> that's quite the, the the random sort of pull there. Um, but yeah, no, Matthews is a phenomenal defensive player. Um, him and Marner are both phenomenal defensive players. That's great to have as your two best players, arguably. Also, be great uh, in both ways. And and if we're going to connect it to Zegris, those are guys who are making a ton of money and they can play both sides of the ice. So that's that's always going to help your cause. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, is that Elite will not win the Selkie because they are Leafs. People do not like to vote like. You, it was undeniable, Matthews, for Hart that year that he won. Uh, so unless they make it completely undeniable. But, like, you can't really judge, like, a Selkie in terms of undeniable because there isn't one, there isn't one statistic where we can point to that and be like, right. well, this guy. Like, with Matthews, like, he guys, the guy scored 60 goals and, you know, like, 100 points. And it was like, yeah, well, we can't, like, we can't deny that guy be winning the Hart. So we'll absolutely have to give it to him. But for, like, the Selkie, you can't use, if you use takeaways. Like, Marner would have won last year, you know? Right. Stuff like that. So it's just... It, it, it's impossible to uh, to do that. So sadly, neither of them will win. Hate to hate to burst your bubble, mm. but if, if one does, it will be Matthews. Assuming that he plays on on the penalty kill, because of the center bias. Makes sense. Uh, so I talk about. All right, the Sens have officially have a new owner. They yes. he got sworn in. You know, uh, in a, in a great inauguration as we like to do. Um, and uh, uh, so Michael Andlauer, he's you know, you see, the Sens fans seem to be extremely happy. Uh, that he's there. He also made a point to know that he, he wants to be hands-off when it comes to hockey operations, letting Pierre Dorian make his own decisions, but also keeping him accountable. Yeah. Which is good. So it begs the question, you know, how would we rate uh, Dorian's work to date as GM? Um, because he's overseen a lot of, of recent sense history. The Sens have been a busy team. They've been really, really good, and they've been really, really bad. And then they've been somewhat in the middle. Mm-hmm. They've been all three things you can really be in the NHL under Pierre Dorian, um, and maybe in the order he didn't want. So, right. um, how would we rate Pierre Dorian uh, uh, as, G- as uh, his work as Sens GM, um, and how long of a leash do we think he has with the new ownership? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Pierre Dorian fan. I like how he's built the Senators to this point, and this is obviously a really crucial year because I think Ottawa should make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I think there's a really good lane for them and and Buffalo as well as we get a lot of change in that Atlantic division. But, you know, when I look at when I look at teams and how they are built, it's like, okay, are you, are you good down the middle? Well, you got Tim Stutzla playing mm-hmm. center, and as we mentioned earlier, he's a 90-point guy. Maybe he could be a 100-point guy yeah. this year. Certainly could. Um, I'm a big Shane Pinto fan. Mm-hmm. I, I know he still needs to be signed, but he's an RFA. Whose job is it to sign him? 
Pierre Dorian. Oh, He's working on it. I'm sure he is. Uh, you know, Josh Norris, also a center. He's had some injury problems, yeah. but when he's healthy, he's very effective. Obviously, Brady Kachuk uh, on the wing. He brings in Tarasenko. He already had Claude Giroux. So the forward, you know, the forwards are looking good. On defense, you know, that Jacob Chikrin trade was trade. huge. Exactly what they needed. Exactly what they needed. Yeah. Took a lot of pressure off Thomas Shabbat. So it'll be fun to see what Shabbat can do you know, for a full season now. Jake Sanderson is a, is a rising star on the blue line. So things are looking a lot better in, in, uh, on the back end. In net, is Eunice Corpusala the answer? That's, that's a question mark. But having said that, at least he went out and he's got not. someone. <laughs> Maybe he's not. He's, hey, look, hey, you want to be Connor? Yeah. It's not the answer. Right. Not the answer. Okay. Continue. But if he's at least good enough, then they're a playoff team, and that's yeah. fine. And, you know, I do believe that they have some guys in the system that could, you know, either run a battery with Corpus Allo in a year or two, or maybe even surpass him. I mean, Corpus Allo, it's $4 million a year. It's long-term, but it's only $4 million. $4 million, yeah. That's, that's the tradable is, the, the if you had to. Is the, uh, the term is what would make it hard to move, I think. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, who knows? Like, in a couple of years, like, maybe, like, you expose him to Houston or Atlanta in the mm-hmm. expansion draft if you had to. Or maybe he just becomes your starter and he's, and he's fine. Yeah. So, I think he's set the team up well. Now, I know, you know, behind the bench, DJ Smith is controversial in terms of not everybody in Ottawa, and the fan base, I should yeah. say, not every Ottawa fan believes in DJ Smith. I just always go back to the fact that DJ Smith has won before. Mm-hmm. He did so at the Memorial Cup with the Oshawa Generals, uh, a team that didn't have a ton of star power necessarily. Mm-hmm. Anthony Sorelli was uh, certainly a key member of that squad. And they shut down McDavid. Uh, they shut down McDavid in the playoffs, uh, in the OHL playoffs, mm-hmm. and then um, they beat Leon Dreisaitl and Josh Morrissey in the Memorial Cup final. So for me, like once you've won at a high level, that's like a big check mark for me. And you know, having said that, if things go south this year for the Senators, then yes, the hot seat should be on fire. Yeah. I'm fine with that. I think if you know, for whatever reason the Sens collapse, then I think most likely what happens is that Dorian would replace DJ Smith, and if that doesn't work, then Ann Lauer will replace Pierre Dorian. Yeah. But if the Sens make the playoffs this year, I think that's the step in the right direction, then I think you're, you're on the right path. And in terms of brain trust and behind the bench, you, you stay status quo because the talent is growing in Ottawa and it's at the point now where as, as long as everyone's healthy, as long as you get competent goaltending, mm-hmm. you should be a playoff team and you should be, you know, I would say kind of a scary first round matchup. Yeah. Look, there, there is, um, he, every GM has made good moves and bad moves. Dorian has made, you just listed out a lot of them, made really good moves. The fact that he, like, was able to, I don't, I don't, I don't know if outright won, but at least, like, drew close to even on the Eric Carlson trade, mm-hmm. that, is, that is a monumental, like, franchise moment. Like, if you, yeah. like, there, in any other circumstance, with the way that that situation was trending, it almost looked guaranteed for Ottawa to lose that trade. Because mm-hmm. Carlson clearly wanted out. It was a training camp or preseason type of trade. That was great. But there are, like, keep in mind that, they, the Sens were really, really bad for a while, and a lot of that was due to Dorian. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, you know, trading Mika Zibanejad for Derek Brassard. Right. You know, and, and like, I believe it was the seventh involved in that as well. You know, uh, uh, Kyle Turris, you know, for, for Duchesne in, that, in, in the three-way deal that just completely torpedoed the team after it happened. And then basically mm-hmm. giving Duchesne away, f- and losing Duchesne for free, you know, mm-hmm. after, after that happening. Or, or giving him away for free. Um, 
Mark Stone to Las Vegas for, I mean, like the only usable asset you really have from that trade is Eric Brandstrom, who the organization has completely botched uh, his, his, his development. That is, that is massive, you know, Derek Stepan for, uh, you know, just trading Derek Stepan at like the height of his powers for, for just a second round pick. Trading Dylan DeMello, who would have looked great on that back end last year as a, you know, a, a defensively responsible puck moving right shot defense and for a third, that's tough. The Matt Murray tr- signing was, was horrible. And then even the, and then based on how it worked out, even the trade to get rid of Matt Murray, because you give up a third, uh, you, you retain a little bit, and then you don't get any relief on that retention after he goes on LTIR. Mm. That's brutal. You know, signing Colin White to, to like four point something, whatever it was deal, then you have to buy him out, um, which was brutal. And then trading, at, one we've talked about a ton of times is trading um, Gustafson, uh, Philip right, Gustafson, right. for Cam Talbot. Mm. Imagine what that Senators team would have looked like with Phil Gustafson in, in, in their net last year. That's, yeah. a play, that, that's potentially a playoff team. Yeah. Like, even, even after you lose Josh Norris, like, you have Phil Gustafson, you have a franchise goaler, goaltender in your net. You know, a guy who you could also, like, cost control because mm. he's an RFA, opposed to having to go out and, and give Jonas Corpusal probably too much money and too much term. Um, that's, like, he, every GM has a mixed bag, and he's made a lot of good decision, good, good moves. Good moves that haven't really paid off yet, by the way, mm-hmm. because a lot of these moves are guys who have who have done some done pretty good, but still need to really take another step. Mm. But you look at, but like the reason why, and the reason why all those prospects came to them is because they were so bad, and be, they were so bad because of those moves. Mm. Like they like. Mika Zibanejad is an elite player in the league, and you gave him away for a guy who was your 13th forward on a PTO last year. You know, uh-huh. all you know, the the Duchesne and then the tourists and everything, asset management out the window. You know, like like all of that, and then you trade like Mark Stone, one like a guy who just captained the team to a cup, yeah. who is like a self like a selkie favorite every year. He's like one of the best defensive players in the league. He's a phenomenal offensive player. You know, it, you gave him away for basically nothing. Mm. Like, you know. Matt Murray, a, a, a goaltending contract that handcuffed you for a very long time and is still on your books to this day. Um, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of good there, but there's a lot of bad there. And I think that, I mean, Andy Lauer. Look, any guy who's coming in new is probably going to. He's he's energized by getting the team. So so I would say Dorian probably has more leash than he should. Mm. But I really do think that there should not be. There really shouldn't be a ton of leash, a, a, a ton of length on that leash. And on top of that too. Dorian loves um, like his his former Hamilton Bulldogs guys, and Steve Steos is, is a name that has right. been rumored for a very long time. If I was him, I'd be looking over my shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, moving on. We got Logan Cooley. Mm-hmm. What a call, man! Indeed. You know what? When when Arizona put out that press release calling Logan Cooley the best prospect in hockey, we laughed, we joked, we kidded uh, at their expense. They might have been onto something. Yeah. Based on based on that goal, holy moly, incredible! Doing that in your first sort of like yeah, obviously preseason, sure. Maybe not the best players on the other side, but doing that in your first shot on NHL ice, mm-hmm. remarkable. Um, is he Connor Bedard's biggest competition for the Calder? Because we have a stacked Calder race this year. We do, and it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think for Logan Cooley, he's in a pretty good spot where. You say, okay, are there going to be guys he can play with? Well, yeah. I mean, you got a Clayton Keller on that team. Even Nick Schmaltz is good. Yeah, Nick Schmaltz. You know, Matthias Michelli had an excellent rookie season that unfortunately was cut short due to injury. 
But, you know, and, you know, if Dylan Gunther makes the team full-time, then that's another winger that you can play off. And Dylan Gunther is a great goal scorer. So you've got some nice complementary skill sets there because Cooley obviously can playmake as well as score. I think the thing about Logan Cooley is that, you know, he's always had speed, but the sense in his draft year was that he was going to get even faster as he got stronger. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, it's been a couple of years now. He's you know been able to be in the weight room at the University of Minnesota. And, you know, again, like for a, a guy like that, where you have sort of specific goals, sometimes that college route can be the mm-hmm. best way to go because you have more time in the weight room. You know, it's fewer games, yes, but you can be on the ice sort of every day on campus um, and you can build yourself up. And then obviously last year, you know, the Gophers went all the way to the Frozen Four final, you know, losing in overtime to Quinnipiac, just a wild game. Yeah. I was there. Um, but, you know, Cooley was a finalist for the Hobie Baker. It was him, Matthew Nyes, and Adam Fantilli. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Funny enough, those two will be part of his competition for the, the Calder, along with Connor Bedard, who's obviously kind of the consensus favorite going into the season because of just how skilled he is. But, you know, when I look at the Calder, it tends to be an award of opportunity, yes. right? Players on good teams don't typically win it because those good teams have lots of good players already, mm-hmm. and they don't have to lean on their younger players as much. So, you know, you look at Arizona, you look at Chicago, you look at Columbus. Those are three bad teams. Those are three mm-hmm. bad teams. So for Bedard, Cooley, and Fantilli, hopefully they get opportunities where, you know, it's probably going to come down to whichever forward has the most points. Mm-hmm. That's typically what it is, unless you have a defenseman who plays a lot of minutes and gets a decent amount of points himself. Yeah. Uh, then you go to a defenseman. In a rarity, you'll get a goaltender that just blows the doors mm-hmm. off, and we've seen it happen. But I, I think in this scenario, you know, you're looking at those guys. I'm also kind of curious, you know, with the Buffalo Sabers, they have a ton of young players. You know, Yuri Kulich uh, was fantastic in the AHL last year with Rochester, yeah. and with Matt Savoy hurting his shoulder during that prospects camp and you know he's laid up for a bit maybe that opens up a more definitive lane for Coolidge to seize a job full time and run with it in Buffalo and you know the Sabres are kind of interesting because we do expect them to be a good team but they also have so many good young players that maybe Coolidge finds his way onto a line where he can get a good amount of points Mm -hmm. so I think you know Cooley is definitely kind of like put his stamp in early saying like, I'm here, you know, like there's a reason I signed and didn't return to Minnesota for another season. Um, You know, Arizona is a good spot for him where he can get opportunities for offense and, and they can lean on him. If he's playing, you know, 16, 17, even 18 minutes a night, that's okay. Like they want their young guys to get that experience to contribute and to help this team continue to build. So I, I think he's certainly one of the favorites. Yeah, he's definitely one of the favorites, but it's funny. We had, uh, you know, the New York Rangers site uh, uh, editor, Johnny Lazarus on the Staff and Grab podcast last week. And he dropped some, he dropped an interesting tidbit that his, uh, his dark horse for the Calder is Devin Levi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you don't like, you don't like short goalies. We have but to, in the playoffs. have to say that. Short goals in the playoffs. In the playoffs, yeah. yeah. But like regular season's fine. The the say, you talk about you know a team of opportunity or or it's an award of opportunity. The Sabers mm. are a team on the rise. 
Um, and Devin Levi, he looked really good. And if he can take that starting job, because right now it'll be a sort of a battle between him and um, the guy with the really Pekalukin. Uka Pekalukin. Yes, and then also uh, uh, Eric Comrie. But if right. he can become their starter and he guides into the playoffs, I mean, mm-hmm. that seems to be a pretty, like... That's a good lane. Yeah, like yeah. that is in terms of narrative and in yes. terms of, of opportunity. Mm. Like there's like he's on a good he's on a good team that also is giving him opportunity to be the guy. Yes, I'd say that's that's a like obviously I think Adam Fantilli and Connor Bedard are, are obviously like the two guys who are battling it out with with Logan Cooley. Bedard is obviously at the top because he's like, you know, he's Jesus on ice. Right. But like having a having a, a guy establish himself as a potential franchise goalie for a team on the rise who's going to break like a was it like a twelve year playoff drought now or something like it, that? Yeah, probably something like that. I think that's. In terms of narrative, that's that's narrative Christmas. Yeah. So here's what I'll here's what I'll say here. So okay. if Devin Levi were to win the Calder, say what you'll say. I would need. I would say him to win. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say 30 games, which is a lot. Yes. But I think that's what it would take. Um, Even if Bedard finishes with like 80 points. If well, no. It's funny. I was yeah. going to say unless Bedard gets like 80 points. Because I would say typically what we've seen in Calder winners in recent years has been more in the sort of 65-point range, mm-hmm. which is, again, tremendous for a rookie. But if you're going to eclipse somebody in a different position that um, has done very well, like if Levi wins 30 games, then it's like, okay, well, Bedard's going to have to get like 80, mm-hmm. maybe even more. And that, that's sort of, the, and you know, again, like voters have different criterion. And maybe Levi leaving, you know, leading Buffalo to the playoffs Maybe that's enough, yeah. as you mentioned, you know, as a narrative where if he gets 30 and he leaves them to the playoffs, or you know, what if he has like a silly amount of shutouts, yes. right? Like yeah. what if he puts up like eight, nine shutouts this yeah. year? Then those kind of numbers might have voters saying, well, Buffalo made the playoffs, you know, Chicago didn't, so even though Bedard had 80 points, it's more impressive that Levi mm-hmm. had 30 wins, eight shutouts, and the Sabres made it. So... It's fun when you're debating that late in the season, but those are sort of the marks that I would think where, you know, if a goalie such as Levi really made a statement, then those forwards, I, I can't think of a defenseman that would be able to hang yeah. in that where you would need a defenseman that was playing like 22 minutes a night and gets like 50 points. Yes. Um, but the forwards, yeah, the, the bar is going to be different depending on what people at different positions throw in front of you in the Calder race. Yeah, and, but I also look at Bedard, and like, when we talk about expectations, like, when, uh, the scoring is relatively the same at this point. Like, what, what are we gonna, when, when Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin came into the league, they were 100-point guys. True. So, I mean, like, what, like, is it, is, it, is it bad that we should be, is it bad, like, should we even be on that, that level? Like, should, should we consider, right. should we consider that he, he could potentially be among those among among that that sort of a, 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 I would say pantheon of, of scores like he like yeah. there's no reason I, I mean I guess in terms of like that that Penguins team was pretty bad when Crosby it was pretty bad too but it was also coming out of a lockout where you had rule changes and you had a lot of players trying to figure out yes yeah, so like I, if I'm not mistaken there was a ton of penalties there that were, year yeah. it was like so you get a lot of power play opportunities like Darian Hatcher and stuff and yeah exactly that. it was and, a big sea change and the only I think defenseman that could probably hang is is maybe a Luke Hughes. Because he's on a good team, right? He could potentially rise up, uh, uh, you know. But other than that, yeah. But e- but even there, like the Devils have Dougie Hamilton, they yes, have John Marino. Exactly. Like, how many minutes is Luke Hughes going to actually get? Yeah. How much 
power play time could he get? Like, you Bedard's going to play, like, 25 minutes a night for the, <laughs> for the Hawks. Like, they don't have anyone else. Like, right. Uh, well, he's they, not going to kill penalties. Yeah. So okay, let's call so, it 20. Okay, so, yeah. sorry. <laughs> That's only a third of the game. Yeah, oh. yeah. Um, crazy. All right, Ryan, yeah. let's do our new segment, The Best. Yes. You are kicking it off, and you have a good... You have a good best thing for us to, to, to look at. Yes, thank you. So when you're looking at college hockey rosters, typically, you know, you'll have height, weight, are they a sophomore, a freshman, you know, whatever. They'll have whatever team they played for before they got to college, you know, whether it's like, you know, a Minnesota high school or, you know, BCHL or the NTDP. Um, but Air Force... The NCAA college team has another category that, because I go over every roster before the season starts just to see who's on which teams and who might be interesting for my top 100 list. Air Force has another category that I love. Because it's actually the Air Force Academy, all the players on the hockey team are also in squadrons. Actual Air Force cadet squadrons, and some of them have incredible names. So... These are the best Air Force squadron names for players. I'm going to start off with one that appears uh, several times on the roster this year, the Loose Hogs. Incredible. Yes, and Hogs is spelled H-A-W-G-S. Opposed so, to the Tight Hogs. It, this yeah. is the Loose Hogs. They've got that hog in them. Oh, right? they sure do. Thank you. I'm not old. Um, How do you do, fellow kids? Exactly. Yeah. Another one that's pretty fantastic, and there's a couple of players on the team, the Tough 20 Trolls. And awesome. The 20, they are Squadron 20. That makes sense. And, and all these squadrons, I will point out, have crests yes. that, you know, they obviously go on their, their flight jackets uh, or whatever. I don't know. I don't go to the academy. But they're Squadron 20, and their uh, mascot is the Hulk. So on their crest, they have, like, a little Hulk guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty good. A uh, little Hulk guy. A little Hulk guy. Yeah. Another one that's pretty fantastic uh, is the Barons. Now, and that's, you know, that's not, like, a super creative name. But on their crest, they have Snoopy as the Red Baron. Which is my favorite. Which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I like that. Uh, another one that's, that's really good is the King Rats. Yep. And Rats has a Z on the end. Oh, because you know the Reggie. Exactly. Yeah. Now, they don't have a rat on their crest, but that's okay. And what's the point? Yeah. What is the point? Why don't you have Splinter from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I don't yeah. get it. Maybe it's they, right there. Yeah, maybe they change them over time. Who knows? Uh, and another one, and this is pretty interesting because uh, there's a player on Air Force named Mason McCormick, mm-hmm. six foot four forward. And I, I guess evidently you can change squadrons because this year he is in the Shadow Seven, which is a pretty cool name to begin with. That sounds like a team that would assassinate Osama bin Laden. Very possible, yeah. yes. The Shadow Sevens crest features a unicorn and a a lot of them have lightning bolts as well which makes sense you know death from from above that sort of thing Mm -hmm. what i like about the squadron seven uh description is that uh it's described you know it's the unicorn and they describe it as virtually invincible in battle which i did not know about unicorns but it makes sense and uh that's pretty cool to that i say tell that to my sniper there you go now, so Mason McCormick is now in the Shadow 7, but as a freshman, he was in my final awesome name okay. uh, amongst players that I've seen on the roster. He was in the Wild Weasels. Oh. Yes, and the Wild Weasels uh, logo 
is, of course, a weasel riding two missiles carrying a lightning bolt, which is amazing. Uh, so my, my only, the only thing I want for next year's Air Force roster is there's a squadron that I have not seen okay. past two years, the Animalistic Sky Raiders. That's just a fantastic mouthful of words that I don't even really know what it means. Uh, it's, it's a warrior sort of riding a steed. Uh, there's a full moon involved. I would expect nothing less. Yeah, so I don't know what specifically an animalistic Sky Raider yeah. is, but it's amazing. So I don't know if they get to pick their squadrons, if they just get to, if they're just put in squadrons. I do know from some research that the Loose Hogs apparently are the best squadron right now. Oh, okay. uh, There's an award, and so the Loose Hogs are on top uh, based on my little bit of research. Uh, but yeah, that is the the best of the Air Force hockey squadron assignments. Uh, and for me, just a, a pleasure to research, I will say. Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. Yes. I, can you imagine you're, you're, you're in the air and, and you're, you, you know, you're a rival air, you know, air raider or whatever, and then you hear, oh no, we got the, uh, what was that last one called? Like the- The Animalistic Sky Raiders. Oh no, we have the Animalistic Sky Raiders bearing down on us right yes. now. Yes. I mean, that's, that's, that's certain death. It's amazing. Um, so I yeah, I would I I salute them. Um, that those the crazy rats or whatever it is, the king rats. King rats. Uh, get Splinter from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah. on your crest. I think uh, mm. that's probably the best because he's a he's a rat who can do karate. Yeah. Uh, who is a ninja, and I think that is maybe the coolest thing ever. So mm-hmm. yeah, do that. But other than that, those are the best. Um, yeah. Ryan, you also have rapid fire this week. And we're switching up rapid fire, like I said, where instead of like three topics, where we answer them. Very not rapidly. Yes. Um, we're doing a bunch of a bunch of questions that we will do rapid fire. Ryan started us. Start back, us off. Back to the roots. Okay. Yeah. Right now, what is your current personal pump up song? I have to say, "Give Me Shelter" by the Rolling Stones. Oh. That really gets me because it, it's there's a crescendo to yep. it, and I just think that once it hits, like once the once everything gets together, whoo, oh mama. Nice, nice. For me, it's "Bigger Than Us" by White Lies, okay. who are a uh, Pretty good, like, sort of post-punk, whatever. Like, if you like Interpol, you'll like them. But it has just a devastating halftime as a chorus. Uh, so that really gets me going. Uh, next question. With Australia in our rearview mirror, where should the NHL go next on the international scene? I would say Korea. I think that's, that's, mm-hmm. that, that, that's my thing. I think you get in with, with K-pop. Oh, um, because okay. K- K-pop stands, as they call them. Yes. If you if like, and, and I just want to say I respect you all, uh, K-pop stands, um, and this is not derogatory whatsoever. But like, if you, it, which like, if, if they were to take a derogatory, like by the time we recorded our next podcast, like my address, my social security number, like like my banking information would all be on the internet. I would right. have been doxxed and raided and swatted and. <laughs> like likely assassinated. So I think you get you get like K, there's no fans out there. Then K, they make Swifties look normal. No. Um, and so I think you 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 link up with with some like for example like Korea like they love their own culture like Blue Jays games are simulcast in Korea because they have Ryu. Oh okay. You know like it, that it's huge. You get you you get in there. It's a huge market to tap into, and you you link up with some K-pop groups mm. to maybe do performances or do some fun content. It explodes in Korea. Next thing you know, hockey. Is the big sport there. There you go. For me, uh, I'm going to go Iceland. And this is more of an aesthetic one because you could play it at a soccer stadium in Reykjavik. 
Uh, obviously, in the winter, it's like dark there all the time. I'm, I'm pretty sure you'd get some northern lights at that point. Like Reykjavik's not as close to the Arctic, Arctic Circle as some of the other towns in, in Iceland. Uh, but if you could get some northern lights with the players there in a soccer stadium, that'd be pretty awesome. Iceland obviously doesn't have a very big population, so it's never going to be like a hockey mm-hmm. power. Uh, but I just Don't think tell it'd be that cool. To the Mighty Ducks too. Yeah, I know they were like in the Mighty Ducks. They were the main antagonists. They were the main, yeah, yeah exactly. Because they knew nobody would get mad about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would go Iceland. Oh, and this is sort of related because yep. I have been to Iceland in yep. the past. Uh, what's your next vacation destination? Non-hockey related. So here's the thing, I'm very poor. Mm. So it's not as if I'm going to, you know, go to the, the coast of Italy or, or whatever. I, that's not something. But the Amalfi I, Coast. Yeah. But if I were to, you know, scrounge up some, some rubles, if you will, um, I'd love to go to Ireland. Like, I'd love oh. to, I would love to lead a pack of sheep, you know, in the middle of a, in the middle of a field to, like, a, you know, a whiskey distillery, oh. you know, like, that with, you know, with a wooden stick. I right. mean, that would be, that would be great. Um, I'm also, you know, I'm Irish, like, by, like, heritage, so I'd love to go see, you know, where, where my roots were. We're laid, um, and yeah, look, I love like like hot destination vacation as the next guy, um, but you know, I my favorite weather is sort of like cool weather, you know, um, gotcha. and so I think that that would that would scratch my itch, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like Get- a like a. Like a, a like a, a cable knit sweater. I was gonna say like a yeah, like a wool <laughs> scratchy sweater. I gotcha, gotcha. For me, it's uh, Austin, Texas. I feel that well, that's a town for me. Yeah. Great barbecue. They also have the uh, the bridge that all the bats fly out from under, okay. uh, which would be really cool. And they, they just have the a bunch bridge, of everybody. they got the bat bridge. Yeah. yeah, and just feels like a town with a lot of cool stuff going on. A lot of not only do they barbecue, lots of other great food. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like Austin is going to be the next family destination for me. Next question: Which celebrity would you want to have as a cool aunt? Now, funnily enough, I've had a lot. Of thought about this, like before you even asked. Good. Them. And without a doubt, it's Jamie Lee Curtis. Ah, yeah. I have always wanted her. Okay, her. I, I want Jamie Lee Curtis to be my, the cool aunt because I've always wanted Sally Field to be my mom. Mm. Um, and I because Sally Field seems like she's more nurturing. Right. Whereas Jamie Lee Curtis seems like she would sneak you like hard liquor in church. <laughs> you know, like she like Jamie Lee Curtis seems like someone who you know like would would be. She seems like the you know. Do it under my roof, you know. If you're right, gonna do, right, it, right. do it under my roof, like you know, kind of, kind of aunt. Um, there's always something going on. She's cool. She speaks her mind. I, I, I'm a huge Jamie Lee Curtis fan. Always have been. Christmas with the Cranks, most underrated Christmas movie out there. Love it. It's terrible, but it's great. Um, and yeah, so I'm a big Jamie Lee Curtis guy, and it would be lovely if she was my crazy aunt. Right on. Okay, I'm going with Kim Gordon, uh, the bass player from Sonic Youth. Okay. Uh, because she would have amazing stories. Well, I mean, I read her book, and her book does feature a bunch of amazing stories, including the fact that at one point she dated Danny Elfman, and she actually went to York University in Toronto for a semester. Uh, Really? Yeah, yeah. So that was very interesting. But, yeah, Kim Gordon would just be amazing because obviously you could talk music, but then she could just talk about, you know, living in New York City, uh, you know, in the early 80s, and how wild that was. Uh, so I just felt like, yeah, Kim Gordon would have stories for days and she would be just like a wicked hang. So sure that would. would be my awesome aunt, uh, celebrity edition. Mm-hmm. Final question, back to the NHL. Which crucial NHLer bounces back this season after an off 2022-23? 
I'm going to go, and it's funny because your answer is also a flame. I'm going to go Jonathan uh, Huberto. Mm, that's good. I think, I think that the change in, in coach, like I think last year he, he arrived in Calgary, he signed, he was excited, and then that, like, that first day of training camp broke his spirit, I bet. Like, he was like, oh, wait, this is going to be my life from now on out? Uh-huh. No, thank you. Mm. Um, but I think the new, the new coach, the fact that, like, yeah, they lost a couple of guys, but they did, but, you know, they did end up keeping a good chunk of guys together after everyone seemingly wanted out last year. Mm. Um, it seems like the organization is, cha- like, is, is sort of reverting as far back the other direction as they could from Daryl Sutter, trying to make things fun, light, cool. Mm. And he's just, he's, he's good enough to, to put up the numbers. I don't know if he'll ever be that 115-point player again, but after finishing with, like, 55 points, whatever it was last year, he finished with 75, 80. I say that's a bounce back. I think he is going to bounce back after last year's disaster. Right on. And as you mentioned, I'm also going with a Calgary player. Yes. I'm going with Jacob Markstrom. Yep. Uh, he was one of the reasons they missed the playoffs last year, and I don't think he's going to allow that to happen again. Mm-hmm. I think he has too many tools to not succeed or at least be a lot better than he was last year. Yeah. And, and I also agree that, you know, with a new voice behind the bench uh, in Ryan Huska, I think, you know, it's just going to be a different dynamic Absolutely. in Calgary. And I think Jacob Markstrom will uh, improve on his game and that will be enough for the Flames to at least be a playoff team. Absolutely. Well, that brings, a, brings us to a close on this week's edition of the Hockey News Podcast. Um, if you like the, the new setup, let us know. It's really not that much different uh, from what we were doing before. But, hey, we love your feedback. Ryan, it's always a pleasure. Can't wait to see what else uh, transpires in the greatest time of the year. Indeed. As it always is, Till next week, take care.